<laughs> you can cut that stuff out, right? Hello and welcome to the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. I'm Tom. I'm Hyman. And joining us this week, Camo. Hi. <laughs> Antoine's making his triumphant return. Hey. Is that it? Oh, what, what do you want me to do? Like, it's just yeah, low key. revolutionary You're doing speech. a low-key oh, tip. Hello, comrades. I'm back again. Hi. Whoa. Just, yeah, so people know your voice. In the house. And making his podcast debut, Jimbo. Hello. <laughs> also very polite and tweet, are Debut! <laughs> Hi. Coming up later in the show, we're going to be talking about Marvel Industrial Complex. Talking about how Marvel movies are basically just completely dominating Hollywood. You but say that as is a bad thing. I think it is. But first... So we're talking a bit of uh, Well we're going to be talking about How Scarlett Johansson's Got herself into a real pickle Hasn't she Well it's not her It's everyone complaining about her Well yeah she's been cast In a movie called Ghost in the Shell Ghost in the Shell If everyone knows What 1998 came 95 out? The anime came out in 1995 Which is an adaptation Of the manga comic book Ah that was it Yep And this film This 2017 Scarlett Johansson film Is going to be uh, A adaptation Of the anime Of the comic book yeah, long so time wait, is coming. it an adaptation of the film or the TV series I don't know but let's talk about why this is so controversial the reason this is controversial is because Scarlett Johansson is allegedly going to be playing a Japanese character and she's allegedly white I don't know what she is Johansson is that, is that white yeah it's pretty damn white it's more kind of uh, northern Europe what like, do you mean Johansson Yo, is that Hansen. white as in the name is it white well, can I mean, the yeah. name be associated is it Anglo-Saxon so well, yeah, I don't think you people's don't names determine them. What do you say, Cam? I don't think you need to be Anglo-Saxon to be white. Well, I mean, that's, that's generally true. what people mean when they say white, though, isn't it? It's like... So what about all the Russians or the... Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> she's white. Can we agree on that? Yeah, she is white. Like, she's definitely white. I think they, Caucasian they is the word that you're looking for. Yeah. I don't know. I think that that's kind of outdated now, the idea of Negroids and Caucasians and... Negroids, what, the uh, next Transformer what? movie. <laughs> We've moved on to like <laughs> the Negatrons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck the Dinobots. <laughs> oh, God, you remember in America? Excuse me, Negatrons. <laughs> Negatrons. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Need to say she's definitely white because they cast her in a, against the whole of Japan in Loss in Translation and they needed a very white character to be that. For anyone who doesn't know, anime basically means uh, Japanese animation. Essentially, that's what it means. Isn't that right, Kamo? Yeah, I'd agree with that. So it's an adaptation of a Japanese comic which was adapted into a Japanese animated film, which now uh, I think it's DreamWorks and Paramount together. This is a Hollywood remake of a Japanese film. I mean, have to kind of stress that Hollywood remake. So, I mean, you're already kind of leaning into it. They're not going to have a, an Asian or any anyone not big named. Yeah, know, exactly. That's the point. Where putting a lot of money into it. The character that Scarlett Johansson has been cast as is the main protagonist of Ghost in the Shell, which is a character called McCoy. Koto Kusanagi, I think it is. And you say yeah. they're keeping the name, aren't they? No, uh, because the character Makoto Kusanagi is a, she's the rank of major and she leads this special forces team. Uh, it's an anti-cybercrime special forces team that she leads, right? But Scarlett Johansson's character at the moment in the script uh, is just the major because in the anime, Makoto Kusanagi is generally referred to, she's normally referred to as just major. But the controversy is there's obviously historically Hollywood has a bit of a, um, it's got a history of casting white actors and white actresses 
in the roles of Japanese and Chinese characters. See, I would disagree with you. Have you ever seen The Wiz? Well, have you ever seen Breakfast at Tiffany's? Well, that touché. is true. You touche. Oh, my God. That guy was Bucktooth as well. <laughs> yeah, that was massively racist. He was that guy. Oh. I've got it written down. Mickey Rooney, who Mickey was a Japanese Rooney, landlord. Yeah. A tiny American comedian actor. Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, if they remade uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, they would have Danny DeVito dressed up like a Chinese man as well. With the buck teeth. Exactly. For me, that's high. Uh, another historical example was uh, the actor Warner Oland playing Charlie Chan. So this is a white actor playing a Chinese detective and they actually, like, they gave him, like, the Chinese moustache and everything. Yeah, but when was this film made? 1930s. Okay, well... 1930s. Again, again, this is my issue with... You can't really... You can judge past events with current ways of thinking, but I think it's just going to land you in, well, a very difficult debate because the mindset or the popular opinion at the time was that these things were acceptable. Now, if you're going to judge them, what, 70 years down the line or 80, 90, what, 85 years, 86 mm-hmm. years down the line, you obviously can't have the same expectations. Aha, but wait, Charlie Chan was in the 1930s, right? Yeah. Breakfast at Tiffany's was in the 1960s. Yeah, 67. Yeah. Still a massively racist Do you, era. Now, you might have heard of a film called, uh, I think it was called Gods of Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I've got my out. own fucking stance on now, that as well. Gods Go of on. Egypt came out, I think, this year. Last yeah. year, bombed. And every single actor who has a line in Gods of Egypt is white. And it's set in ancient Egypt. Yeah, it had um, 300 Scottish actor... Uh, Gerard Butler. Yeah, Gerard Butler. He played um, fucking one of the uh, Egyptian gods, didn't he? But the argument towards that is that when you've got like classic Greek plays, Mm. whenever you had a warlike people, they were generally played by Scottish actors. Ah, I know what you're... You're talking about when the um, translation... Yeah. Translating from ancient Greek into English. Yeah barbarians were mm. always written as having a Scottish accent. Yeah, because you're trying to apply it to a modern day concepts that is relatable or the closest thing that you can find. And yeah. the Scottish accent at the time was about as rough so wait, as you could get. And now they, they call this whitewashing, right? Now this confused me at first because whitewashing to me, uh, whitewashing means in terms of history, there were, say there was a, a protest movement that was predominantly black. When Hollywood or a TV studio do their adaptation of it they replace all of the black i was going to say characters but all of those black people that were prominent in that movement will be replaced by white actors you mean like a forrest gump type thing well in forrest who who was whitewashed in forrest gump well no forrest gump like he he was at the heart of every major thing that happened in america and he was everyone everyone knows forrest gump is fictional though right everyone knows it but it's telling its version of history using this avatar to go through history yeah that is a good point actually and there's the whole thing with Back to the Future as well, not to destroy what is a classic movie. There was but basically, Marty McFly goes back in time and takes credit for everything yeah. that black people He does in Elvis. He does. He goes back, he basically invents rock and roll music. Mm. And we're oh grateful for doing it. He goes it. back in time and tells the black mayor when he's a young person that he will be mayor. And then he's like, oh, wow, I could be mayor? Yeah, he, he didn't c- believe he, he could be mayor until a white a, dude appeared and told him he could He creates a parallax be. effect. Yeah, but from okay. a narrative, it's essentially, you know, agency's been taken away from black people and it's back in white hands. I mean, this, we're, yeah. we're, we're going off topic a little bit, but really? no, not really, no, no. But I mean, like, whitewashing what, what, in Hollywood. What do we think of Scarlett Johansson 
playing uh, an Asian character, or supposedly Asian character, in the two mediums that came out beforehand, the animated and then the comic book. I think there's arguments for and against it. I mean, if they are going to take a brilliant film like Ghost in the Shell, or, you know, relating it to, they were also going to do a Hollywood uh, version of um, the classic era. But if they're going to then sell it to a world market and they're going to need to because they're going to make this massive budget film they're going to need to bring in like the revenue they're going to need to bring in the money of sales of people going to see it I don't know people I... are not going to go um, Chinese cinema Japanese cinema has not advanced to the state where it can compete at the moment with Hollywood films not in and terms of people budget are going to, yeah in budget also with the amount of people going and seeing it you're going to need to make it relatable or some way for to is be able to get not, that mass audience coming in is that not an in. argument if you're worried about the Chinese and Japanese markets shouldn't you really cast a Chinese no, or Japanese no, actor I, then actually thinking about this do you think maybe because the Chinese still hate the Japanese somewhat a white the, yeah, actor somewhat. is that perfect medium to get in to the Chinese market mm, not I don't think anybody thought about it in that sense like no, in a strategic kind of way but it's interesting to note that in Japan when they heard news that Scarlett Johansson was cast as a major Makoto Kusanagi they were totally fine with it because they expected a Hollywood remake to have have a mainly white cast. I can, I can, I can understand. It's like um, if you remade, I don't know, what's a classic American film? Like imagine, um, imagine you remade Tango Redemption, Star well, Wars. Imagine you remade Tango and Cash in China, right? Oh, imagine okay. China wanted well, to make their own. This Tango is your caliber of classic American <laughs> movie. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. You could have gone for Killer Mockingbird. Tango and fucking Cash. Why don't you go for Turner and Hooch? Would, would Atticus Finch be played by anyone other than a Chinese dude in a Chinese remake? Probably he would be. Well, again, <laughs> it, it, again, but it depends because they wouldn't bother. If you were going to talk about a film like To Kill. A Mockingbird being remade uh, with all Chinese actors it wouldn't necessarily work because they wouldn't have the same motivations in the times Cameron think, doesn't think I there's think, any black no, people I think in that's China. a bad example maybe <laughs> Well, yeah, statistically, hey, look, my, oh, they don't have the same culture hey, in the South. Fuck you. Let, let's fuck go you. With my the example was Tango and Cash. No, let's go with the example of Shawshank Redemption. That's a brilliant No, because I'm going to mention Shawshank But later. even if you oh, went okay. for Tango and Cash, yeah. I mean, that's a film about very heavily about like American police, okay, right. pro-police at the time. You've got all these American gangster criminals. They're all muscle-bound fucking morons with Uzis and AK-47s. You can't relate that to Chinese media. <laughs> Well, thing is, I, th- I think it is as simple back. as you have a big name of the moment, someone that is in a lot of films and is accepted and enjoyed by the mass market, and you just go and flood them in every film that you can, and she's a face that's going to go in there. Yeah, this was Max Landis's Landis's Landis Landis's Land 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 Down Under. Max Landis, son of uh, director John Landis. He's uh, Max is a screenwriter, director, actor, what have you, blah, blah, blah. And he went onto YouTube and his argument was, if you didn't cast Scarlett Johansson, who is a, a proven box office draw, the film would not get made because the Hollywood studios need to feel like they're definitely going to get a return on their investment before they greenlight making an actual film. I think that makes sense. And I think it's that argument against moral outrage of a supposed, you know, insult to Japanese history, culture, fucking media, um, in that 
a strong Japanese role is not being cast for a Japanese character. It's like, no, you're trying to broadcast it to the world. You need to go and have a name that's accepted and recognised worldwide. Jimbo, what do you make of uh, Max's argument? Yeah, there's probably some merit to that. Um, yeah, yeah, we're a big, big names draw crowds. Anthony, do you think Max's argument has uh, merit that you need a ho- you need an established Hollywood starlet in order just to get your film made? Especially um, a Hollywood no one... blockbuster that is. Yeah, yeah, that's two different things you're saying. One is to get a film made, and one is for it to be a massive blockbuster. Because let's face it, uh, the Ghost in the Shell it's um, what you would call a cyberpunk anime. So it's going to have a lot of visual effects in it. It's going to have big robots and things like that. So it's going to have a huge budget. But it's so got it's... a deep philosophy to it. I feel like that's going to be lost in the movie. That's going to be well. lost yeah. in translation. I'm saying there's a difference between having your movie made and having a movie that you believe could be a blockbuster internationally. I just don't understand why it's necessary in this instance to have to have a massive A-list celebrity leading obviously when you've got no. a, when you want to get your film made unless you're super rich yourself you're going to have to ask other people essentially for money yeah unless you can finance it yourself you're going to yeah. need to get backers so you're going to have to go to a studio right and you go to them look I've got this script it's based on this uh, anime that was kind of popular it wasn't massively popular back in 1995 it's become more popular since but it's still a niche audience but, and the studio the first question they're going to have in their mind is who signed up to be in it and that's when you go oh yeah we've got Scarlett Johansson bang yep Scarlett Johansson she's a proven yeah, she's a proven yeah. money maker no, we'll that, fund this that may be true but like you, you also have to understand that if you don't start raising uh, Asian American actors or Asian actors up to the level they'll never actually be good enough to be put in these movies yeah but whose fault is that is that the director or the casting well, agent no, I mean, for the film or is cast- that a more damning testimony towards uh, the lack of ethnic role models in the media today? No, I think it's a bit of both. It's a bit of everything. Like, I'm, I'm gonna it's give two you, separate arguments. No, I'm going to give you the example of, say, like in the 1970s uh, TV show, Shogun, uh, which had Richard Chamberlain in it, but it had an all-Japanese cast. Some brilliant names in it, like uh, Toshio Mifune from Seven Samurai and Akira Kurosawa. It pushed these names into the actual stratosphere in the 1980s these Japanese actors got work in America it, because was that program as big as Kung Fu where they took a Chinese yeah, character that's what and I was about a white guy no it did, that was supposed to be Bruce Lee originally wasn't it uh, he was, I think, I think was, he was yeah just it with them yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, and then it, the, whole, the studio said no if we put no one knows who Bruce Lee is yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'd say th- argument is there's a slight difference yeah. because it was a miniseries. A miniseries, say, like Roots, the show Roots, which was an all black. Why do you always uh, mention Roots? Well, because it's the third time you've mentioned Roots yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> because Roots is an amazing miniseries with uh, LeVar Burton in it. Okay, yeah. Uh, but I was talking about how this is a um, it's a cyberpunk anime, right? And I think the thing about Ghost in the Shell as a story, the emphasis is on it asks the philosophical question. You know, what's that boat? The Argo? Yeah. The Argo is a boat where the, it goes on this really long journey. What about the Odyssey. Right? Yeah, and you uh, have to replace you have to replace bit by bit yeah, each part of the, the boat, right? And yeah. that raises the question when you is get it the original boat. Yeah. Is it still the Argo or is it something new? And yeah. in Ghost in the Shell, this is a, a universe a world where computerization has been so heavily adopted that you have people who are completely cybernetic including their internal organs their brain do you need a biological body to still be considered human so the question is yeah even if your brain is computerized i.e you took all your memories your thoughts and digitized them and put them into an artificial electronic brain and your entire body was cybernetic if i did that to myself am i still tom or am i something new 
Well, sorry, it is sorry, to no. a degree your argument what you're saying. I mean, Ghost in the Shell and its very nature was it's the idea of where does the where does the human reside? I mean, is it going to be within a physical corporeal body or is it going to be spiritual, mental? You know, um, which of those is it? Because ultimately, not to you know throw in spoilers, Ghost in the Shell Shell originally ends in essence whereby characters transcend biological or physical limitations and manage to take their consciousness and expand it elsewhere but um there are reverse examples of whitewashing in hollywood right so uh i mean you mentioned shawshank redemption morgan freeman in shawshank redemption plays the character of an irishman a ginger-haired irishman oh, that's why he's called red yeah yeah not i mean i'm not saying it's equal in any sense obviously you know no I mean? they, they didn't uh, make uh anti dufresne uh, black character which would have been good would have been good I think it works again, better I the fact that he's actually writ- he comes from a privileged background and he's white I actually think it works better as a character also, it's I think a little bit unrealistic when, when is a rich person ever falsely accused in the 1950s she might have been Jewish with this and uh, gets imprisoned with this <laughs> like, Irish character being replaced by a black character I think this is again um, backing up my argument before of they're taking famous faces of the time and they're putting them in these big roles I don't think at the time you would have found that many stock Irish actors that were big names in that period of Shawshank being made. Dennis O'Leary. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> take that. He's yeah. not Irish. Yeah, I take that. He's American. He's, uh, well, he's, he's from he's Boston. He's O'Leary in it. That's as close as enough. He's from Boston. He's Irish. Oh, it does in fact get worse, by the way. How so? Because um, the supporting cast is predominantly white. Now, of course, in the actual anime, in the manga, yeah, the comic, set in Japan. the supporting cast is Japanese. Because it's set in Japan. Yeah. All right. I now, will have issue with what you're saying if it's a massively white supporting cast and the film is still set in Japan. Yeah, in Tokyo. Yeah. Is it set in Japan? It's still Tokyo. set in Tokyo. No, it hasn't been announced yet. They haven't revealed where they're going to set it. I would right. bet I think they're going to call it Neo-Tokyo and then that's going to solve a problem. That's, oh, no. Yeah, that's <laughs> an issue, yeah. Maybe it's like a, this alternate world's version of Japan where America just didn't leave Japan. But the um, the thing is, the 1995 anime that popularised Ghost in the Shell in the West, that's set in Hong Kong. Now, the comic was never set in Hong Kong. It was set in Tokyo. And uh, I've, I think the um, the director, Oshi, what's his name? Mamoru Oshi, I think it is. He said, the reason I set it in Hong Kong for the anime is just purely because the aesthetics of Hong Kong, he felt it was better than Tokyo. And I think you have to, you got to give directors and screenwriters, you've got to give them a little bit of leeway. Yeah, you got to give them poetic license somehow. you got to give them a little bit of leeway. you got to let them have some creative control and we're back James has left us boo I don't think he really existed he barely said anything it's going to be a struggle to edit him into the podcast (laughs) normally I'm editing people out it was his inaugural visit is that the right word everyone has this apprehension when they're doing a Tom Dick and Hyman show I don't know if Fear that the truth will out. I'm I'm of the Patrice O'Neill philosophy of you do not you do not pretend there isn't an elephant in the room. You talk about it. I mean the thing is people don't realise we're recording this in India, so it makes it easier to notice the elephant in the room. Yeah, gotta give those kids something to do. What do you mean gotta give the kids something to do? You with your dismissive ones are gonna like I've said something, isn't that good enough? I was referring to sweatshops, but okay. So oh, when, okay. In the first segment, we talked about Scarlett Johansson. Scojo. Uh, Scarlo. Scarlo. Is that what we're going to call her now, Scarlo? I was, was going to go with Scarlet. Call her. Scarlet. 
Scarlett Johansson, she's currently most famous for playing Black Widow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You say that oh. with a certain amount of distaste in your voice. Oh, as I like to call it, the Marvel Industrial Complex. Mega Marvel. Here it comes. So, I mean, the Marvel movies, they have been ridiculously successful. I mean, famously, uh, Marvel Studios, I think it was uh, a small office above like a Chinese takeout, right? In 2007. Yeah. And then 2008, they released Iron Man. And they basically, they took a massive gamble. If Iron Man flopped, it would have been the end of Marvel movies. There would Mm. be no Marvel movies if Iron Man didn't work out. The basic Marvel business plan. What's the model? Is to well, it's to announce ahead of time a number of movies. So I think they've already announced up to twenty twenty now. Each Marvel film that's going to come out, I think it's like four or five a year. They've announced ahead of time what they're planning, which is relatively new in terms of Hollywood cinema. Like even if even if uh, like in the days of the Matrix, right? When the first Matrix film came out, the Wachowski brothers or now sisters. Oh yeah, they're sisters, yeah. aren't they? It's they just they didn't announce that it was going to be a trilogy. They just released the first film and hoped for the best, right? Well, I mean, like the the general rule of thumb was: we bought a property. It's a series of books. We'll try one, and if it works, we'll make the rest of them. But if it doesn't. Well, those books were terrible, weren't they? Mm. Whereas now it's Marvel. I mean, it's beyond just one book. It's a, it's a, it's a universe. Mm. So it's the the possibilities are endless. And like with a comic book, they can cancel it whenever they want, or they can go into more detail or in one character, or go into the detail of more of this universe. I mean, the thing we we know about Hollywood, right? You know the Hollywood trailer. In a world. Oh my god, what are we gonna do? Picture of a skyscraper falling. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's because Hollywood, anything that works once is presumed to be able to work again and again and again. And I think it was it The Dark Knight that started this in the trailer thing. And because that movie was so successful, it influenced everything that came out afterwards, right? And Marvel has been so massively successful with their cinematic universe that we're seeing DC comics. They're trying to create a DC cinematic universe, but it extends beyond comic book movies. Um, Jurassic Park, the re- the was it a reboot Jurassic World? Yeah. Their their long term plan was to have a a series of Jurassic Park movies. Oh, Jurassic I... Night, spelt with a K-N. <laughs> the T-Rex rises. <laughs> I pulled the sword from the stone. I am the king of England. So they tried to create a cinematic universe. As we know, we talked about previously the Ghostbusters trailer, the fucking travesty that was the Ghostbusters yeah, trailer. Yeah. Their end goal was to have a Ghostbusters universe. Yeah, where, um, but they had a an... finite version of it. They were going to do three and out. Yeah, there was going to be an all-female team, Ghostbusters, all male, all male and then team. meet up. And then Which a I third respect. film, yeah, yeah, it might have worked, but it extends even so far as Godzilla. Really? Was it 2014? Was the Hollywood Godzilla film? Yeah, uh, I, can't I the most, quite liked most it. recent Hollywood yeah. Godzilla film. I kind of liked it, right? Because it was an an homage to the yeah, old to the Japanese style, the Toho Godzilla. Studios Godzilla film, where yeah. it's a bunch of scientists running around trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Even Godzilla. I can't remember which studio made the 2014 or maybe 2015 Godzilla film, but they Sony? want to make... They, they're planning ahead. 
Mm. They've got two or three films in mind they want to make in the upcoming years. And that's the... uh, What I want to talk about is the influence of the Marvel movies on the industry as a whole. Yeah, it's a a new marketing curve. It's getting ahead of it. Anything that's commercially successful in Hollywood is usually replicated. So, like I say, we're seeing this with DC Comics. They've done the Batman versus Superman, even though... I mean, it made a lot of money. It was a bit of a shit film, but it made a lot of money. And then they've got Suicide Squad, and then they've got films announced. Yeah, beyond that. It's slightly worrying, because it also shows there's no space for something new to come in. Mm. Or it feels like the studios aren't really looking for something new. They're looking for what works now. Like when, uh, back in the 60s, where, no, 50s, when Westerns were king. There were hundreds that came out. Hundreds of Westerns. In a short period. Yeah, I mean, you had to wait till like the late 70s for the Western to come back, and they had to have this raw, outside-of-the-box Italian directors to come in and take in this whole new direction. And even then, that sparked of another wave of spaghetti westerns, which the studios, which were just buying in as opposed to producing them. Mm. But Cameron, you, what do you think of like the future predicting that uh, Marvel are doing? Well, I think they do it for a number of reasons. Um, most obviously to keep it, um, to keep the like you know digestive juices for fans going because they like to know what's coming next. And the Marvel Universe from the comics is such a wide and organic animal in that it's changed over time and you can see where stories have led into other stories and so on and so on. There's been retcons and resets and all of that jazz. Like the 60s onwards. And there's so much to choose from. Yeah, exactly, from the 60s onwards. And there's so much to choose from that um, fans don't know exactly what it's going to lead into. They can predict. And when they have these predictions, like, you know, confirmed, then they're elated by it. Right. Anthony, I would like to know, as more of a casual cinema guy and a casual knowledge of the Marvel Universe, do you like the idea of having your filmic uh, viewing... Uh, what's the way? Set out three years in advance? Yeah, yeah mm. d- knowing what you're going to watch in advance. Is that, that doesn't as a bother casual? me, because I think you've got to treat each one in its own way, because effectively each one of those movies has a separate director, and that can make all the difference. There I mean, is Civil War worked well... Because it was a good story, told well. Do you not think there's um, a, a, a Marvel... Age of Ultron was bad because it was a bad story told badly. This is the thing, the, the, the Marvel movies, in terms of um, rating them good to bad, right, they only really range from, I really liked it, to, eh, it was okay. None of them so far have been god-awful. No, none no. of them are bombed. Even, even Thor 2, who I... That, I was, Which that was, was pretty bad. That yeah. was pretty bad, I was, I, I was unimpressed with Thor 2. But I was still took in the money. It wasn't bad, though. Yeah. It wasn't shite. Yeah, I, I also think that the statement whereby I, you've got I, I to, to take them... With you, yeah. Well, you've got to take them like a film at a time. Marvel's designs it whereby you can't really do that because they are intrinsically linked together. One film then has a later effect on subsequent films and they all tie in together somehow. Ensemble marketing, almost. Well, not every single one is an ensemble cast, though. Like, the um, what the general consensus seems to be that the Captain America films are the best ones. Mm. Because, uh, with the exception of Civil War, the most latest one, they focus heavily on Captain America. There's, there's a focus on only a handful of characters rather than the ensemble cast. I think they're why uh, Captain America films are considered to be the best ones. There's more of a focus on Captain America... 
his motivations. Yeah. yeah, it's also, it's almost not more believable, but you can kind of almost relate to it a little bit more because mm. it's it's one man from an outdated time, his attitude to the world and doing what you think is right. And it's like a smaller scale compared to the other ones where it's just much bigger issues almost. But I think... Who is uh, who plays Captain America again? Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Because, um, Tom, you were saying earlier that you think Chris Evans always said that he basically wants to take the money he's made from the Marvel films he's and retire. Made, he's made fuck you money. Yeah, he doesn't I think, have to worry about paying bills anymore. Yeah. I think that's almost definitely going to happen because they've heavily invested in um, Falcon now as well. And following on from the comics, they're going to kill off Captain America. Um, not in, not, not really. They, 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 they replace. Phase him out. They will phase out Chris Evans. In Chris favor Evans. Of Falcon. Falcon will become the new Captain America. But to um, to come back to what Hyman, I think, was alluding alluding to, right? Mm. The genius of the Marvel movie formula. It's not just well, in terms of what works now. Plot. I wouldn't say genius. I mean, it's interesting. It's new. I think it goes beyond just plot and tone of the movies right it's also the fact that they've created this kind of phenomena where each marvel movie that you're currently watching you kind of actually don't give a fuck about because you're too excited for the next movie in the pipeline because they've announced ahead of time what the films are going to be like say i thought thor 2 was by far uh, the worst of the marvel movies so far right but you're watching thor 2 and you kind of don't give a shit that it's bad because it's, you know something. Uh, you know, Avengers two is coming down the line. You know, Guardians this, is coming down the line. You're excited for the next film so much that you don't care about the current one. That's I wouldn't agree with you tactic. totally on that one. I mean, there are some films where it's just like they've managed to cover the well, the shit storytelling they've done. They've done so far with um, an upcoming event, but there are some films where they're major fucking events in the Marvel universe, and you, you can't help but care and see this kind of like butterfly effect that's going to come from it and you see how it affects all of the other films. Were you not a fan of Iron Man 3 just because they fucked up, uh, what's his name? The Mandarin? Streamers? Mandarin. Mandarin. Oh, there was a little bit of I that. I enjoyed what they I did also I Mandarin. Yeah, I, thought it was I loved it. Because yeah. I'm not, I'm not a comic book fan, so I had no expectation of what the Mandarin was supposed to be. So I get I that. Care. My major that problem with the, the Iron Man film is that they, they, they made Wait. it a bit too cartoony, a bit too comedic and I liked the first two because they were a little bit more well serious to a degree they took themselves a bit more well, seriously the last one seemed to be a bit tongue in cheek it seems like the marketing tool and the marketing way of it is very much like uh, back to your point of we're waiting for the next thing they've we're announced watching it. yeah. we're, it's almost kind of very fashion industry it doesn't matter about what the range is now because next year is going to be the or the next yeah. show is next um, season is going to be the next thing. It just matters that you've been here to watch this sh- show to be part of it. I feel like watching these Marvel movies, there is a definite formula to the mm. Marvel movie. There's a definite feel. Like uh, when you juxtapose uh, the Avengers with Batman versus Superman, there's a very diff- there's a very real difference in terms of both tone, aesthetics. And in terms of plot as well. Well, yeah, because the Marvel films so far have been following the atypical superhero formula whereby they are the good guys and they act as the good guys, whereas the Batman versus Superman film or even the Dark Knight films... More ambiguous? It's more vigilante-esque and it had a darker undertone to it, so it was almost like the anti-hero, especially with um, 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 Ben Affleck's uh, 
portrayal of Batman. I mean, one of the points I think you were going to want to bring up was like, um, is it people's refusal to grow up um, mm. with the Marvel movies um, suggesting that, you know, we, we need superheroes to fix our problems. And I think that's not a new concept. It's something that's been around for, you know, countless centuries. If you go and look back at the Greek pantheon of gods and the stories of mythology that come from those, you can see that you can see that these characters like acted as figures of hope, this escapism and all that these superheroes are today is the modern day demigods, the modern day gods. It's just a new incarnation. That's, of it. Um, that's the point though. Historically, we look to gods as our saviors, right? Like you, you, you referenced ancient, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, right? Yeah. The enlightenment period kind of done away with that. Yeah. It done away with the idea of these divine saviors. Yeah. As opposed to, it's actually possible as a human to save yourself. Yes. And I think um, Marvel movies and comic book movies in general, they're a throwback to an older ethos of we need, like you say, demigods hmm. to come and save us from ourselves. And I think on a well, deeper philosophical level, the Marvel movies kind of represent that. And I've always viewed the Abrahamic religions, monotheism, as a refusal to grow up. It's a refusal to accept that you are responsible for your own actions, your own undertakings, and... There's a trend in films. It's cyclical, and it usually comes in politics as well. That, say, like in the 1970s, Mm -hmm. you had uh, Jimmy Carter, end of Jimmy Carter, and you've got Reagan and everything like that. And you have this this... invention of the single hero that can save this dirty harry this death wish this uh these individual that can save you and then as soon as human yeah the human elements the individual can save you the is coming back and yeah we had that in the late 80s and early 90s with uh die hard and stuff like that and you have falling down yeah and falling down like that and now we're coming back again to this these are our heroes to come and save us again. What do, you, what do you make of that, Antoine? The- I think it's been around for a while now and it's sort of lost its power. Like I was saying, a lot of the anti-heroes that we have in modern culture, like, you know, Walter White in Breaking Bad or Tony Soprano in The Sopranos, is something that's so prevalent now that actually people are a little bit bored of it. My, my biggest critique of the Marvel movies is there's never any real tension at all. It's not designed to have tension. What I I mean by tension is uh, there are real dire consequences to what's going on here. Do you know what I mean? There's no peril. Well, there's there's, there's flaws in what you're saying. Um, Going back for a second, this whole idea that, you know, people are reliant upon a godlike or a hero figure to solve their problems for them, that's not the point of these comic superhero characters. They, They represent or they embody human ideals to the ninth degree whereby they are they are ultimate they are superhumans but they were there originally when they were created to show that you know one man can make a difference that people can strive in this constant battle for good against evil it's not to say that humans need saving it's Mm. showing that you know these people embody ideals that normal people can follow and this statement that there is no tension there are no dire consequences in the marvel films so far the most recent marvel film civil war kind of shows you that there are consequences to actions whereby the entire premise of the film is that these unchecked heroes who've been going around arguably trying to save the day have in essence left repercussions with massive property damage massive 
collateral or public damage or human damage to the point where there is a response to it. So there that, is, and it's all been building to that point. And I'd be very interested to see where they're going to take it next. That's a retcon. Well, it's not really a retcon it because it's it was retcon. in the comics far before the films it's and we retcon. knew it was going to go to that point. Here's, the, here's my problem with the, the Marvel movie universe. It tries to introduce tension in the sense of, oh my God, this city is being destroyed. We have to stop this. But that every single Marvel movie makes the point of showing that actually nobody died, even though this city was destroyed. Almost like there was a, right. there was a point in uh, Avengers two, right, mm. where there's like you know the last chopper out of Saigon. There was yeah. kind of like a reference to that, and it was a dog. The dog was the last thing that jumped onto the helicopter, and the message that they're trying to give you with that is everyone's fine. Now I know they kind of retconned that in uh, Civil War where they said the black woman's son died and uh, uh, Zemo his uh, family Baron, Baron Baron Zemo Baron Zemo he lost his wife and his child right but you, you're, you're never shown any consequences yeah you're always shown that nothing of any consequence happened that everybody was fine nobody died the city wasn't completely destroyed yeah mate it's a children's film they can't go around showing people getting blasted to shit to show that there are consequences to actions you watch it with a pinch of salt and you also accept that obviously something bad would have come from it they can't save everyone but do you accept that that is a lack of real tension well to no, a degree you need to see blood to have tension I, well, not blood, but some something dire has to happen for there to be tension. And in these Marvel movies, almost nothing dire ever happens. No, in these even, Marvel movies, most of the problems are started by them. Yeah, even in Civil War, right? The worst thing that happened was War Machine became a cripple. But even at the end, you're shown that he's walking again. Within, I oh, think, it was, trousers, I think yeah. it was in within two minutes of him being crippled you're shown that he's already walking again pretty much it was come to the end of the movie yeah to Cameron's point of well look it's to show the kids hey don't worry kids it's okay he's still walking he should have died he should have died at least one character in Civil War needed to die and if it had to be if it had to be War Machine who was just a glorified Iron Man anyway to be honest these movies are on par with the 1980s A-Team yeah yeah you follow with it everywhere the peril no one's ever hurt and at the end of it everyone goes for a drink and slaps each other on the back and someone says the witty line at the end yeah the good guy always wins start something's gonna happen to get these characters into doing something i feel through the journey of this oh we you know it's formulaic but it's comfortable but you know the the original 18 when it originally aired in the i think it was like early to mid 80s right yeah it's like 80 the number one audience were young teenagers for the 18 yeah whereas the number one audience for marvel movies are millennial adults would you think that's maybe because we grew up with these things and now that we're adults we still want to hold on to it i don't think it's a nostalgia effect no it's not nostalgia effect it's what we grew up with and it's what we come to expect that, that is nostalgia but I, I think it's the fact that we don't want to grow up. We view... I think Marvel movies are like a very childlike escapism. Like, I mean, any... movie, any, All movies slightly escapism. All mo- yeah, exactly. No, but, but this but, is very childlike. All theatre, all reading, all anything is escapism. Anthony, what do you think the popularity of Marvel movies amongst adults says about those adults, given that they're aimed at 12-year-olds, these films? Well, I think it's a new age of people that... Or millennials, as you would say, that you know, adults now, but they still fondly remember, look, sort of look back at their childhood and the characters that they liked then. It's a callback to nostalgia. But why? Why do we not want to grow up though? 
because growing up's horrible. We'd rather be kids. Is there not a um, an, a nobleness in being an adult versus being a child? There is, but nostalgia appeals to all adults because when you look back, and obviously being a child is something that you romanticise in your mind. And yeah, it's also a massive degree of escapism. You don't have to be a child to want to follow escapism and like enjoy a story that's not realistic, but you can destroy it for its own merits. I mean, there's no shame in it, and I don't know why you're advertising it as there being any shame associated with it. Um, to make a to make a comparison, right? Game of Thrones is escapism. Yeah, but are you going to shit on that as well? No? People die in that. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's a gritty. <laughs> it's realistic in the sense that people actually die. I mean, I agree with you on some point because I do think that so many movies nowadays have to be sort of 12 A's mm, that you never, see, you never see the consequences of violence. Mm. And in Civil War, for example, you don't see the consequences of any violence. You're always told that people die, but you never see it. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, that's just bad writing. I think it's just an acceptance of well, look, they they're, they're trying to they're doing this balancing act, Marvel Studios, where they understand that these films are really made for kids, but their bread and butter, their money, is in adults, is in young adults, like mid twenties to what, early thirties. What would you say is the last adult movie you watched then? Deadpool. <laughs> it was it, well, it's certainly the only superhero movie that I've seen. That it dealt with 18. it dealt with mature themes. Do you think the Marvel movies, they've changed audience expectations of films, of movies in general, not just comic book movies, but just movies in general? What do you mean mean by that? Well, I don't think they have. Next (laughs) question. No, yeah, I I think they're a genre in their own development. They are, as you said, superhero films, and we have expectations that the good guy wins in them, which is why films like Deadpool... You couldn't have every single Marvel film like that because it's just a bit too... It doesn't follow the superhero recipe. That's why it was refreshing to watch it because he is kind of anti-hero and that's why he's popular because he's not like other characters. Deadpool, for me, moved away from the Marvel formula. Is that the limitations of comic books as a medium? Uh, Kind of akin to the Saturday morning cartoons. Really, the driving force behind this is merchandise of toys. Yes. And the reason you can't kill a Marvel character is... Uh, if you killed Nighthawk, say, you can no longer sell Nighthawk toys. Yeah, if you killed Hawkeye, you wouldn't be able to do that. Oh, I agree. excuse me, Hawkeye. I was but trying to do Night it politely. Nighthawk. Is, is Nighthawk the DC equivalent? No, it's no, from Image Night Comics, Hawk isn't is it? Digressing. It doesn't matter either way. It's a, we know the who point you is, mean. If you killed, like, War Machine, say you killed War Machine in Civil War, Captain America Civil War, how can you then sell uh, War Machine toys when the audience knows he's dead? You can't do it, right? So it's like the... the um, yeah, but then the, how can you keep selling He-Man toys after you cancel the TV yeah. show? Well, they don't. That's the point. The Achilles heel of comic book movies and comic books in general is... No, 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 as com- soon as you kill are... a character off, that character no longer has any appeal. Are you kidding me? That's what they did with uh, Hand of the Baskervilles, um, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. All right? You I can bring characters Sherlock back. Holmes. Sherlock Holmes dies in the books. Yeah. About halfway through the series... Why did they bring him back, though? Because there's money in it. Yeah, but that's modern day retelling of it in the books. He's dead and he's dead. Okay, bring this to a close. What I want to speak to you, you you are both, uh, I'm not going to say comic book nerds, but you're well, you both... You say it like it's a dirty word, but go exactly, on. Exactly, that's why I don't want to, because you're comic book fans, as far as I'm concerned. Right? Okay. We both read comic books. Yeah. There you go, fans or not, just we both read that. All right, but the on. Marvel Cinematic Universe is based on 10, 15 year old comic books, right? 
What effect has the Marvel movies had on contemporary co- comic books? It's not what effect they've had on contemporary comic books, and it's also not that they're basing it on 15-year-old storylines. They're taking modern-day rehashings of the story. Like I said, the comic books, every... What are we talking about here? Two, three years, they do a reboot or something, yeah, where they I mean, start again, basically. I mean, Marvel right now, what they're doing is they're doing shorter runs of stories, say, 12-issue runs of a story arc, yeah, and then see at most, how it and feels they're dropping and then they What I'm saying is, have the movies influenced the comics? Have you noticed that? I think that the movies have financed the comics to be able to take slightly more adventurous storylines because they've got the revenue to do it. So I, I think the uh, the comic uh, the movies have had virtually no effect on the comics. Wow, that's not surprising. None. Like sales aren't doing any better. Stories are still. Wow, that's very surprising. Yeah, they're big push for the digital sales and stuff like that. Mm, that massively. And so there's a move to the digital realm, but... But I don't think that's got anything to do with the movies. It's yeah, more yeah. just what's more financially viable. Because I assumed the success of the Marvel movies would bring in a new audience to the comics. People are lazy. To a degree, but it's not going to gain... Because these things still cost a lot of money. <laughs> Anthony, have you, have you felt compelled at all to read the comics on the back of the success of the Marvel movies? To a degree, yeah. Like Civil War war and like when you went online to look it up or you actually wanted to buy a comic oh, a friend lent them to me oh, okay right. i think the best example i've ever had of what's a barrier what's always been a barrier to comics is when charlie brooker tried to describe how people started getting realizing that watching the news is like watching a soap opera you start coming in halfway through and you have no idea what's happening folks you've been listening to the tom dick and hyman show hopefully it's been a good episode for you special thanks to my guests antoine thank you camo oh yeah oh yeah and as always the unbreakable Haimo. ciao or Haimito, <laughs> as we like to call him Hopefully you enjoyed this week's episode. Next week we're going to be talking about the internet and we're going to be talking about how uh, people have these kind of... They attribute these mythical properties to the internet. So if you're the kind of person that is a little bit disillusioned with the internet's ability to make everything right again, you're going to want to listen to next week's episode. Are you trying to say there's not one pill that fits all? That's exactly what I'm trying to say, Homer. I'm trying to say the internet will not be your cure for cancer. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.